CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now. Hello one and all, we welcome you into the first episode of the new year on the Canadian Football Countdown. Especially welcome to all those who made their New Year's resolution to check out every episode of this podcast this year. Because I'm sure that was highest on everybody's priorities. This is the Canadian Football Countdown. New Year, same old us. I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell. And we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Happy New Year, Mike. How uh, are you this 2020? Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to all our listeners and Blue Bomber fans everywhere. Yeah, it feels good coming into a new year as the champ, doesn't it? Well, it's a weird thing, right? I mean, I uh, was looking at my phone the other day and came up across pictures of the Dre Top. And one, once in a while, I used to have this dream that the bombers won the Dre Top. And then I think to myself, oh, yeah, they actually did it. it so it's... now the task becomes, uh, instead of making this goal 25-plus years again, to try to win it in Regina in 2020. So that is my New Year's resolution for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Repeat. And, you know, the steps are there, right? First preseason game in Regina. First regular season game in Regina. First Western semifinal win in Regina. First Western final win in Regina. First Grey Cup win in Regina in the new stadium. Make it happen. That would be that would be wonderful for a couple Bomber fans like us. I... I have a feeling there's a couple other people around the country that, you know, may not approve of that idea. Uh, well, yeah, what can we say? 2019, uh, obviously, great year for us. First time ever. We got to see the Bombers win a great cup in our lifetime. We also, with our last episode of the year, hit 100 episodes. And thanks to all who tuned into that one. Uh, a lot of work went into that one. Three. Can you believe the last time we did an episode, it was three hours long? This one will not be. You probably have figured that out already based on looking at the timestamp. Uh, back to our regular old one-hour episodes. We'll talk as much as we can about the uh, CFL coaching changes that have gone on over the last month because, you know, I've kept to myself a little bit. I, I, I will admit, uh, and, and you may have noticed this pattern during the off-seasons, uh, I, I kind of take a step back during the off-season time. Uh, I still look at social media, but I don't really tweet or anything like that you'll notice our account go our podcast account has gone pretty dormant uh since the season ended uh besides you know sharing show episodes and whatnot so uh i i've been itching to share my thoughts on some of this because i got some interesting thoughts on some of these teams and uh i think we'll start off with the one i'm most itching for uh to talk about in just a second here uh, before we do that, uh, again, we are a member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Check out cfpodnetwork.ca and at cfpodnetwork on Twitter for all the other great shows. And uh, one of the shows in the network, the To and Out CFL Podcast, is actually up for an award in the sports category of uh, the Canadian Podcast Awards. So uh, yeah, just search that on Google, Canada Podcast Awards. If you are a uh, podcaster who is a Canadian citizen, you are able to vote. 
uh, and we encourage you to throw a vote between behind our buddies uh, uh, Travis and Ty because really they do an outstanding job. And uh, yeah, we're rooting for them. Congratulations to them. That's uh, it's pretty awesome that they're up for that award. So uh, congrats again to them, and of course check out all the other great shows as well. Mike, do you have any podcast-related New Year's resolutions for 2020? Um, just a hundred more for our show. Well, we're not hitting 100 in 2020. That would be no, two episodes a week in, in every general, week. You know, we already missed a week. I'm getting married this summer. We're missing a couple. Well, I'm missing a couple more. I don't know what you're doing yeah, yet. That's know, your problem. I, uh, I plan to have a co-host in for at least one show. Uh, so that's uh, going to be dead. But I, you obviously have much better New Year's resolutions for 2020 for reasons like what you just said. I'm going to keep mine very small. And that this podcast and my media company and this station continue to grow. And uh, if I may throw in a hockey note. Sure. That the Winnipeg Ice made the WHL playoffs. There we go. Go Ice. So that's... All right. My my New Year's resolution podcast related. Uh, well, two of them actually. One, I will win the uh, CFPN Fantasy Football League this year. It will happen. And if you haven't seen, go to at Safamod on Twitter. That's Steve from the Piffles Podcast. He was the winner in our inaugural season in 2019. And, uh, well, he requested a championship belt. And as the commissioner, I, I obliged. I got one made. Uh, Does he have to give it back? Well, he has to give it to whoever wins next, which is going to be me this year. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Although, I don't know if maybe maybe you have something to say about that. Well, maybe you could I have come to, in as a dark horse. I don't know. Maybe I have to talk to the commissioner about getting an expansion franchise in the league. You know, you know where I live, Mike. You're uh, right beside me for most weeks. What? You're right beside me for <laughs> most weeks, so why would I need to know where you live? <laughs> Good point. Sitting. Good point. That's fair. <laughs> Uh, so obviously that's a goal to uh, take home the title prize in that this season. And uh, podcast related, I, yeah, I said this on our last show. I'll say this now again. We, we go kind of radio silence during the last couple of months of the off season. Generally, uh, you know, we we stick around, we we cover stuff, free agency, and then the news starts to dry up a little bit, and then we get into some exciting preseason stuff. Uh, goal is and plan is as of right now. We have discussed plans in the past. Uh, to hopefully get podcast episodes going throughout the off season on a, if not weekly, bi-weekly basis. And the nice part is we don't have to wait overly long for the first bomber preseason game. Right. Is it the first one on the schedule? First one on the schedule, May 24. Perfect. And uh, I'm sure that will be part of our preseason. But, but I've never seen something like this. Like there are preseason home game in the first one. But they're the last team to open up at home in the regular season. Almost a month between home games. And they're the Grey Cup champs. But, hey, I will save that rant for a different day because uh, that will be part of our preseason uh, package as well when we when we break down the whole CFL schedule uh, closer to June. Is it June yet? It's the new year. Uh, we're getting closer. But, no, it is not. Let's talk all this coaching news, the management news, all of this fun stuff because there has been a lot that's gone on over the last month. And I think the team I want to start with here, Mike, is the Ottawa Red Blacks, because I feel like this might be one of the teams that has the most going on with it. Uh, they let go head coach Rick Campbell, or they agree to part ways. Rick Campbell doesn't want to come back. Uh, we'll talk about where he went in a moment here. 
the Red Blacks bring in Paul Apolisa's head coach. Uh, they extend Bob Dice's special teams coordinator. They add Bob Wiley as offensive line coach. Uh, they have a new defensive coordinator in Mike Benavides, so it looks like Noel Thorpe will not be back this year either. And uh, hire former defensive back Alex Suber as their new receivers coach. Now, my understanding, I believe he's been coaching receivers at uh, different levels of football since his career ended. So uh, what what's your take on what the Red Blacks have done here, too? And, and you know, I, I guess we can't really talk about all of this without, as much as I want to stick to the coaches, it's hard not to talk about uh, the uh, acquisition of the rights to uh, Nick Arbuckle from the Calgary Stampeders that uh, Ottawa does go and trade for. They give up a third-round pick if they sign him reportedly also giving up the first overall pick in this year's draft. What do you make of what Ottawa has done over the last month? Actually, there was a lot of uh, misconception about that. Uh, it is the third rounder for now. Upgrades to a, that first overall pick, like you said. No, I think it's a sep- an, an extra pick. And, right? then, and then the team switch. The team switch first round picks. Oh, I misunderstood that then. Yeah. No, so- I... I had to look very closely. So the, the third plus, as I understand it, the third plus, or maybe not. We'll have to get clarification on that. They're going to sign him, right? Like, do you make this trade unless you're confident? Well, um, well, I don't know. He might be saying, what do you have for me? Convince me. Because last I checked, his body is the coach in Toronto. Yeah, that and, and that is the interesting wrinkle in this as well. I will say they bring in Paul Apolis as head coach. Granted, if I were to look at what areas of the football field the Red Blacks struggled in last year, I'd say all of them. Um, but clearly they couldn't get much going offensively. They struggled to put points on the board last year. I, I, I can't think of a better guy if you're looking for an offensive mind to put points up on the board to come take over as your head coach. And offense coordinator, I presume, uh, than Paul Apolis, because the offense coordinator by committee thing that the Red Blacks tried to pull off last year. Tried with the quarterback by committee, too. That didn't work. So you bring in the offensive genius in Paul Apolis. He has previous head coaching experience. You also bring in Mike Benavides, another guy who has former head coaching experience to be your defensive coordinator. I, I, I like these moves for the Red Blacks. I do. I just don't see this turning into a 14-4 and four season in the first place in the East and Eastern Final, a TD place, and one game away from the Red Top. I, I, I think, to me, this is going to be a, a step of progression. Um, maybe 10-8, and 9-9 and nine this year and work their way up and... You know, to be honest with you, the Ottawa Red Blacks haven't had the greatest of records, uh, despite all their great tough performances, given, you know, the division that they play in. And I, I think they want to see some consistency from personnel, and this is a great start. Now, the other thing is there's no lead in my mind where you can go pretty quickly from down at the bottom to down near the top, just given the personnel changes uh, player-wise from year to year with every team. But now, all of a sudden, you have that ability or that issue to try to 
Det plejer at komme til Ottawa, and no mistake, and they also need some luck in, in the draft. And I mean, I I think to say that you know, just looking at the job that even Kyle Walters has done in Winnipeg, that ship wasn't built overnight. Uh, lots of drafting, lots of uh, pitch that didn't necessarily pan out. Uh, Faith Patati being, I think, Captain Obvious, but, you know, they had to wait for Jeff Gray. Uh, Matthias Gosen retired after a couple seasons. So, uh, as much of those draft pits are a crapshoot, it also takes time to develop into frontline guys where, and you also need a, f- a few free agent signings and, you know, I, the guys that come to mind quickly, especially on that offensive line, Stanley Bryan over from Calgary, uh, coming to Winnipeg. And the fact of the matter is that my long-winded answer is Paul Apolise wants to build a culture. He's going to have to do this patiently. Now, I'm not saying they better take five to seven years just like the Bombers have, but expected to be a few years to be consistent. So... I like the coaching staff they've brought in to turn this around here. I, I'll put the odds at like 90%. Marcel Desjardins spends the most money out of anybody in for opening day of free agency this year. That's what he to did. To me, he has to. He has to do that to save his job. That's what he did in 2015 uh, after their first season. He went out and bought a championship team, essentially. I know they didn't win that year, but they did the next year and free agency, all those big-name receivers, the quarterback. And I fully expect him to do that again here. Partially, though, in part, like you said, he's going to have to. And I think that's why this trade for Nick Arbuckle makes so much sense. And, and Can I ask, why not Matt Nichols? I, I, I think why they, not Jeff Talaro, somebody that Lapo is familiar with? Yeah, and, and that is an interesting question. Maybe it's the youth of uh, Nick Arbuckle. Maybe he's seen things uh, that he really likes in Arbuckle here. Uh, from the, they played Calgary three times in four weeks at the end of the season, mm. right? The Bombers yeah. did. To and me, there's also that big sample size with Mitchell missing all that time. Yeah, that as well. And, and to me, you know, they go and trade for Nick Arbuckle a couple days after the Ticats re-sign Jeremiah Mazzoli. You have, like you said, Ryan Dinwiddie is the new head coach for the Toronto Argonauts. You know he wants... Uh, Nick so get out in front of it. And you have Ottawa being this team that was, I'm sorry, a tire fire last year. You said, like you said, it is going to be difficult for them to attract free agents so much so that they need to, they needed to go and make this trade. It's like they need to rebuild their image. Because, okay, look at the quarterbacks out there right now, mm-hmm. right? We don't know what's going to happen with the three in Winnipeg. We know Toronto needs a new starting quarterback. Presumably they would be in on Nick Arbuckle. We all thought Mazzoli was going to be an option to Ottawa maybe, but he's back in Hamilton now. Like, Marcel Desjardins was probably looking at this and like, I can't mess up again this offseason, so I'm going to go make this trade. It's almost like he realized when the music stopped last year there wasn't a chair for Ottawa, which I think I used this analogy. And this time he is the first or second or third team to find the chair. Yeah, so I, 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 I never like the idea of giving up like a prime draft pick. Okay, third round pick, I, I don't have too much of a problem. If they have to, like, if the details are that they have to give up a first, like the first overall pick to go and uh, just assign Nick Arbuckle here, 
that then I don't like it as much because you know this team has other glaring holes that they need to fix as well, you know. But given and, and that that's... given that I know Marcel Desjardins' philosophy is forget the draft, I'm gonna just buy a team. It seems to be a, what it has been in the past, and he has had some good draft picks uh, over the years, granted as well. But given that I feel like that is his philosophy, and I feel like he feels the heat from messing up this last year, and if he messes up again this year, he knows he's out. So what does he do? He brings in the offensive mind in Paul Apolis, and he goes and makes this deal to get arguably the best quarterback out there uh, option on the free agent market, some might say. Now I'm interested to see what he does the rest of the way here because, okay, you have the quarterback in there. I, I, I don't know at the wide receiver position. Like you have Dominique Rimes. You have Brad Sinopoli, which was a key re-signing for them. You have R.J. Harris. Like those aren't bad, the wide receiver position, but there's going to be other upgrades they need to make on this team yet. Offensive I just want to see Offensive line help a little bit too, yes. Because I think... um. I think if you look at Paul Apolise's style, ball protection, clock management, grinding the clock down, offensive line is going to be a primary area of focus for Ottawa after they get their pivot signed. I, I will say this. My early 2020 prediction, the Ottawa Red Blacks of this year, we're going to see a lot of what we saw from the BC Lions last year. A team that goes out, makes a lot of changes in the offseason, Things don't necessarily gel early in the season, but we did have hope of BC almost t- surging into the playoffs. Yeah, they were the two weeks too late. Yeah, so I, I could see that from Ottawa, but I-, 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 I like the changes they've made so far. I just want to see what happens once February hits for them. Now, I don't, I, I, I don't want to say this, but I have to ask the question. Does Ottawa's franchise take a hit if Nick Arbuckle does not sign? Well, they gave up a third-round pick for nothing then. So, yeah. But what does that say to the rest of the quarterbacks if the top guy in the market doesn't want to roll there? Granted, he might not might have his reason for he may want to be with Dinwiddie. But, yeah. you know, I, I think this should tie into our Nets team, the Toronto Ardenauts, where we should talk about. My, this is my Nets point here. Did the Ardenauts fire Corey Chamberlain? And replace him with Ryan Dinwiddie, so they might have the inside track at Net Arbuckle. And what happens if Arbuckle signs in Ottawa? Does all that backfire? I, I think that's a stupid notion. No offense, Mike. No, I, I heard. No. Th- I'm not saying it's my notion. It's a notion that I heard out there. Yeah, and, and I get, I get the logic behind it, but to me. You don't hire a coach just to get a quarterback because what if that quarterback gets injured and then your coach does not fit anything else to do with your team? Like quarterbacks are going to get injured. It'll happen. Every starting quarterback in the league did last year. So to get a coach. I'm surprised surprised that Dinwiddie in Toronto. He was not a name I had as far as a coach this year. I had him as an offensive coordinator. But what was he? He was just the quarterbacks coach in yeah. Calgary, or was he the offensive no, he coordinator? The uh, offensive coordinator was uh, uh, his name was Steve Smith, or was Dave Dickinson just doing? The, it was Dave Dickinson calling the plays, but he had an offensive coordinator. Where did Pat DeMonaco? Well, he got he, Pat DeMonaco just got promoted to offensive oh, coordinator okay. this offseason. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, somebody was that offensive coordinator there. His name is Dave Smith. 
But uh, it wasn't Dinwiddie, I know that. Because everybody was kind of surprised that he made that big a jump. Uh, then again, it's just, it's very interesting. Because if you look at the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, what would be 2007 when we lost to the Riders? Yeah, 2007. So who were the, and you might know this, who were the three quarterbacks on the roster for the Bombers? Oh, I, I don't remember all of their names. I know Dinwiddie. Kevin Glenn, who broke his arm. Ryan Dinwiddie. Well, all, all, all three quarterbacks that were dressed for the Bombers in that great cup game are now head coaches right. in professional sports. And then sports. Zach Taylor, who's the head coach in the NFL. And, and then there was one other one, because Kevin Glenn wasn't dressed for that yeah. game. But then we also got news that Kevin Glenn was considered maybe for a quarterback's coach role with Montreal or Ottawa. But, yeah, I, I was a little surprised. You know, to be fair, I don't know much about Ryan Dinwiddie. Like, I watched him play in that 2007 Grey Cup. I remember a game where he stormed the team back against the Stampeders. That was a year later. Like, those are honestly the only two memories I have of Ryan Dinwiddie. And I know he's bounced around with a coach as coach a little bit in a coaching position. I know he was very good in college football yep. when he was in college football. So, like, that's why I didn't see this coming is because I just didn't know that Ryan Dinwiddie was really, like, I haven't noticed him that much. How much personally. of this is it is because he's from uh, the Dickinson and Huffnado tree? I think that's a good part of it. It's kind of like everybody from the New England Bill, Bill Belichick tree. And I think you also it. see what he's done with the quarterbacks in Calgary, right? right. Like, sure, Bo Levi Mitchell has the raw talent. I wouldn't say Bo is who he is 100% because of Ryan Dinwiddie. Right. But I wouldn't also say Ryan Dinwiddie hasn't, you know, had a bit of an impact on him and the, especially the development of Nick Arbuckle. What are your thoughts on the way Toronto went about this? Well, I, I'll, I'll say this. Announcing you're firing a coach in the same 280-character tweet that you announced your new one is not the nicest way to go and inform a guy he's been let go. Um, I think from the PR standpoint, this may have been a, better handled by the Argos, but especially when all the jobs are pretty much full at that point in time and Chamberlain doesn't really have a lot of openings. Yeah. Other than to be a defensive coordinator for the team that he used to quite frankly be a head coach for. They let Chamberlain, like this happened kind of late, right? This was yeah. after yeah. Campbell had already gone to BC. Yeah. I think it was after Edmonton had their coach. Yeah, it was Otto. one of the last. It was one of the last ones, so yeah, you know, for a team that's been out of the playoffs like for so long this season already, and there was clearly, you know, all the talk this year was about, oh, Corey Chamberlain's losing streak, right? I I'm surprised it took this long to let him go. I wonder if it was a case of, well, we'll see if we can get somebody else to come in, and if not, I guess we'll stick with him for another year, because why wouldn't you have began the search sooner then and let all of these other great candidates pass you by? Then again, may, maybe you knew all along that you wanted Ryan Dinwiddie as, as your guy, and, and they got their guy. And I'm interested to see, you know, how this will go for Toronto now because, yeah, I would have – I agreed with you. As soon as Dinwiddie became the head coach in Toronto – oh, okay, Nick Arbuckle's going to the Argos. Clear as day. No ifs or buts about it. Where are the other QB pieces going to land? Well, now he doesn't go to the Argos. Uh, 
there still are other options available. There's a lot of talk, you know, Zach Caleros back to the Argos. They still have some quarterbacks on their roster. How What is he going to do with a guy like McLeod Bethel-Thompson? And uh, really, the Argos, just like the Red Blacks, have a lot of, you know, different pieces they need to add in order to be back to championship caliber team here. So can I make a bold prediction? Sure. If Toronto does not get the guy they want, i.e. Nick Arbuckle, I think that's the guy that they want. I also think they want to take a look at Zach Talaros. But if all, if all else fails, me thinks they're pretty comfortable with McLeod Bethel Thompson. I would applaud that. I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a McLeod Bethel Thompson fan. You know that. I, I, not always, <laughs> I'll admit. There are moments where, I don't think he has it, and then there are moments where wait, wait, I think which, he does. Which, which quarterback has it all the time? That's fair. Logan Tildorf? Oh. No. Even Arbuckle had some struggles. A little bit, it wasn't exactly Bully by Mitchell ass. Yeah, if you're talking about free agent quarterbacks out there, like... Maybe you have Matt Nichols, Zach Caleros. Like those are kind of the two big fish left besides right. Nick Arbuckle. Uh, so we'll we'll see what happens with the Argos. I, I'm really interested to see what else they're. But going to I, do I just don't think it's a detrimental of a a detrimental of a situation if you have to go to a guy like McLeod Bethel Thompson. I just think you need an option behind them. I will say this. Looking at the wide receivers, looking at some of the games McLeod Bethel Thompson had, and I know their defense also let them down in a lot of games. You had some talented running backs on that roster as well. Remember when the Argos brought in like four running backs in training camp last year? Like, it was puzzling at times how their offense wasn't getting it done. And I think Jacques Chapdelaine... We've always been critical of his offensive systems when he was with Montreal, now with Toronto. I, I hate to throw a guy under the bus, but I, I think a lot of the struggles may have been from his system. And, you know, Dinwiddie's been working in that potent Calgary offense over the past couple of years. I think he brings that a little bit. You still got SJ Green or Monty Edwards, Darrell Walker. Granted, I haven't looked at the free agent list yet, so I don't know how many of those guys uh, are free agents this year, but you have a solid foundation there on offense for the Argos so we'll, we'll see what moves they make in free agency but I, I'm intrigued to see Ryan Dinwiddie in his first year as head coach and I, I guess my question for you Mike is do you think he can flourish in his first year or do you think we could potentially be in a similar Devon Claybrooks case where hey this is a guy that looked real good in Calgary but then you know kind of struggled out of the gate with, as, uh, in a head coaching role I hope you don't bring Ryan Dinwiddie in and it's better to turn this ship around in one year. I hope the thought process is we bring in this guy that not a lot of people are talking about, but maybe is brought in as a head coach a year early. Because I think there was that logic out there coming into the offseason. Okay, if Calgary loses their offensive coordinator. Well, Tim Woody might be the natural replacement to be offensive coordinator. And then, you know, that's Joe looks ahead at this and says, okay, one year from now, Tim Woody is ready to be a head coach. I hope the Argos have the time and the patience for Dinwiddie to get this right. Because to your point, 
There was a lot being said about what happened in BC and Divine Play, but oh, he's ready, right? He's from that, that hot NATO tree, and he's going to be fine. And, and so my thing is, I hope they realize that what they're doing is a little bit outside the bots, but they also give this coach some time to get his to put his imprint on this and I want I'm hoping that Toronto looks at this as a three to four year project because I think if you base it on one year you're going to have a situation where a lot of your fans are going to be disappointed with what happens. I could be wrong, but I just don't see this being a first in the East type of season for the Ardles. There's going to be some learning curves for for this coaching staff and a general manager, Mike Pinball Clemens, who I'm actually really surprised is in in the position that he's in because if this goes very bad, people will be looking at Mike Pinball Clemens a little bit differently than you know. I've I've seen reputations be destroyed by trying to come into a position where they're not necessarily tied out to be. So my long-winded answer is I hope that they're not looking at this as a one- to two-year project or rather than a three- to five-year project. And that's where if if I think you take the three- to five-year window at this, I'm okay with the Ryan Dinwiddie. But I think to expect the great top berth is a little bit unrealistic for our first two clubs. I could be wrong, but conventional logic suggests... Orlando Steinauer did it. Yeah, but that was completely different. Yeah, he, he had that, a, that Hamilton team was stacked. He had year. a core of players, and he basically had a turnkey operation to the first, to the best team in the East. Now talking about those Hamilton Tiger Cats, uh, they managed to keep everybody together coming into this next year. Jeff Reinbold extends. Uh, Tommy Kendall extends. Mark Washington extends. You know they were all rumored as possible. Coaching options for somebody like Ottawa, BC. Like, I mean, it's pretty obvious this is good, right? Like, this is great news for Ticats fans that they're keeping the core group of coaches here together. Because that record during the regular season, like, yeah, they fell flat in the Grey Cup against the Bombers. But, I mean, you couldn't have asked for much better, could you? During the regular season? No. And I don't think you could have asked for much better when you know you had your quarterback go down six weeks into the season and all hope appeared to be lost and now Dean Evans you know takes over in game number six I think it is against the Blue Bombers and all of a sudden now it's like keep the band together as much as possible and try to win that one game yeah, I have no problems with that. If the Ticats bring and back... And I think that's something Hamilton should do. I think they should look at a lot of what they had last year. And bring it back. And bring it back based on, you know, on paper right now, their division is not necessarily the strongest. To me, they're a 99.9999999999% lot into the great top playoffs. That's a lot of... Well, and then you just take the chance that you can win that one game. Yeah. And I, that's why a lot of those coaches, I think, re-opted instead of leaving. 
is I think they ha- they felt like they had the mantra of unfinished business, and to me, Hamilton had nothing to lose in last year's team. For me, all the pressure was on Winnipeg. Now, granted, when you have as good of a season as the Ticats did, you're going to lose some guys in the offseason. We're going to talk you probably will. more about the NFL tryouts and stuff like that uh, next episode, yep. I think. But uh, you're losing a guy like Braylon Addison, for example, is a huge one. Um, what do you make of Jeremiah Mazzoli re-signing with the Ticats? It also looks... Dane Evans mysteriously showed up on the CFL transaction page the other day, despite being under contract yeah, for another two years. Rework. We imagine he had his three contract, his contract rework. Like Dane Evans is getting paid now, right? Like, like that's got to be what this is, is because he had that backup, never really played a start, three-year contract. Like Dane Evans, he was getting one of the reasons you now. recall that they pushed Johnny Manziel out. I forgot about him. We could have gone all of 2020 without you mentioning him, but first episode of the year. Well, I had to. It's fair. Because Fine. everybody said, oh, Johnny Mandel, what's Hamilton going to do? Oh, every, oh, we got a Dane Evans. But everybody knew that Dane Evans was, at least they knew in the Hamilton Tidecast quarters of the offices, that, and maybe that's why they deemed him to be expendable to Montreal, because they knew what they had in Dane Evans. Yeah, and now you bring back Mazzoli, probably on a much cheaper contract than he initially had. Yeah, incentive-based contract. and So how do you see this playing out now? Because honestly... Dane Evans is your starter week one, Mazzoli did a sits team until he's healthy. Because honestly, I'm shocked Mazzoli was back. Like, I I didn't expect it just because, like, this is two years ago, an MOP candidate, right? And and you're going to bring him in and have him sit as the backup? Uh, I mean, it's great for the Ticats. They have two MOP quality quarterbacks now on their roster for next season. We know quarterback injuries do happen, but... How many quarterbacks did Winnipeg need to win the Grey Cup? Three. Four. Technically, Sean McGuire played one game yeah, or two. Yeah. How many... Everybody that has won the Grey Cup in the last five years has used more than one quarterback. No, I I love this from the Ticats' perspective. I just thought maybe we'd see a guy like Mazzoli realize, okay, Evans has the cheaper contract, you know, kind of realize, like, see, because I see it as them going with Evans as the starter here until until he loses the job. I, I, I could have seen Mazzoli I, I, maybe I think, going somewhere like Ottawa. I, so. I think, to be honest with you, I think he looks at this and he goes, where's my closest chance to win a great job? That's fair. Winnipeg probably doesn't want him because they don't. One or two guys, but they're looking at signing. Edmonton has options behind Trevor Harris. BC, you have Mike Riley. He probably touches losses, looks at the roster before free agency, and says, this is my best chance on December whatever. And they're going to do what's best for my rehab. And after that, it becomes a competition. And... Last I checked, everybody benefits from a competition at quarterback. That's fair. And, I mean, it's clear the Ticats have the best one-two punch at quarterback on their roster right now. Like, there's right, not, now right, right, right now, there will be Right move. now, in the keywords, is if Winnipeg signs Kalaros Nichols or the Ticats are or still better. Kalaros Nichols Traveler. The Ticats are still better. You have the Eastern MOP nominee. Well, granted, it was Banks last year, but it was Mazzoli. Dane Evans was deserving himself. 
Uh, it, the Ticats have the best one-two punch at quarterback in the CFL, regardless of any more moves made during free agency, unless BC trades for Bo Levi Mitchell and has Mike Riley and Bo taking up 90% of their cap space. But right. um, speaking of the BC Lions and the weirdest segue of the episode, uh, they let go Devon Claybrooks. I didn't think they should have. I thought they should have given him another chance because they did come on strong at the end of the season. But they make the first move at the coaching position this offseason, and they bring in Rick Campbell, who I think is a really solid guy to bring in. They also bring in former uh, Eskimos offensive coordinator Jordan Maximich as their new OC. Um, yeah, I like these moves for, B- for BC. Uh, what do you think? BC looks at this division and rolls Coach Dickinson in Saskatchewan, Coach O'Shea in Winnipeg, Coach Dickinson in Calgary. Ooh. Better get a big name yourself or you're behind the eight ball with the other four coaches in the, in the division. You have a new offensive coordinator now who's worked with Mike Riley in the past. Yep. I, I, I think that's big because... I, the, the teams that needed to make the I we can surmise this whole episode in one sentence. The teams that needed to make changes to this point anyway have gotten better. Debate yourselves about Toronto, but BC and Ottawa, who had pressing needs, quote unquote, they did the best to solidify the coaches and. I'll tell you what, it's an arms race for coaches in the West now. I really like Rick Campbell as a head coach, so I I, I think that was a good move for BC. And, and you know, they're bringing back uh, Kelly Bates, I believe, is the offensive line coach. He took over halfway through the season after Brian Chu was kind of the scapegoat. They're bringing him back. Him and Jordan Maximick, who's worked with Mike Riley, I guarantee you, We'll be talking to Rick Campbell, and they'll be making darn sure Mike Riley spends less time on the turf mm-hmm. this season because that's starting less, to improve. The, the less the, time he spends on the turf, the more the more time his team will be in the end zone because he's going to be on his feet throwing touchdowns. Well, exactly, and, and that they improved later in the season once they stopped allowing so many sacks. So I think that's a huge key for the BC Lions, and, and I, I like the additions they've made. Rick Campbell, I think, also has a bit of a defensive mind. I believe he might be calling the might also be acting as the defensive coordinator uh, for the BC Lions. I'm not 100% sure on that one, um, but I think he brings a bit of added, uh, you know, expertise in that area as well. So, yeah, I like these moves for the BC Lions. Uh, Moving on, because we are going to run out of time. If we don't move on through these last teams quickly, boy, there's been a lot of coaching news. It's amazing what happens when you miss a month. Um, Edmonton Eskimos fired Jason Maas after a second-round playoff exit. Uh, Name Scott Milanovic as the new head coach, a guy who is still under contract with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, started working for the Eskimos while still finishing up his season in Jacksonville, which is crazy. And uh, they do get the news that defensive coordinator Philip Lawley uh, resigning from the team due to personal reasons. So sum up what Edmonton's done here so far. A very good move uh, outside the box, a name that I had forgotten. Um, a name that clearly... They wanted to have the dignity 
to let him finish out the year in Jacksonville. But they kind of said, hey, you know what? You can finish out the year. If you find something else, great. You know, by all means, go ahead. Respect on both parts. And I would be, I don't know, having not talked to a lot of CFL people, but I just get the sense that reading between the lines with Stop Milanovic's comments that it was Edmonton or nowhere else for him. Scott Milanovic and Trevor Harris makes way too much sense, doesn't it? It looks way too much fun, and it's way yeah. too terrifying, which means I think the Bombers need to put their quarterback situation to at the SAP out of fear for them maybe being the ones without a chair. Hmm. Yeah, I'm really interested to see because Trevor Harris had a strong season last year. Came flying out of the gate at the start of the year. Uh, did have his injury, which set him back. And then that first playoff game against Montreal just tore up the Alouettes as he comes to do in What's playoff What's with Trevor games. Harris in playoff games, particularly in the Eastern playoffs? You know, there are some guys that just come alive when it comes to playoffs. Like uh, CFL, there's these examples. NHL, you look at a guy like Justin Williams, who just signed a contract with yeah. the Carolina Hurricanes. A uh, guy that hits home for me, Alex Kalorn on the Tampa Bay Lightning, even though he's having his best regular season right now. But And those Lightning ain't looking too bad right now, hey, Ryan? For a, dive the the, for a dive that was having panic attacks earlier in the year. Yeah, eight straight wins. I'll take that, including a 9-2 to two shellacking of the Canucks last night. Oh, man, that made me happy as a Jets fan. Made me very happy as a Lightning fan. Anyways, yeah, there's these playoff performers, and I think Trevor Harris is one of those. Uh, and I'm excited to see what Scott Milanovic does with this team. Big question mark with the Eskimos has been the penalties, the discipline. You ain't doing that with Scott Milanovic. Let's make that one thing clear right we will. We will truly see if that was a result of the head coach, Jason Maas or if it was the guys that are actually on this team this year, because night and day difference, I think, between the demeanor between these two coaches. And I'm excited to they see They are very drastically different in style in just about every other way. Milanovic is a quiet slash respectful in public. Jason Moss is a rah-rah guy who... Wears his emotions on his sleeve. Wears his headsets on the ground. At the expense of poor headsets, which, you know, they're not cheap. <laughs> um, He might have an allowance in his new contract, which allows for the replacement of headsets. Just kidding. But in a serious note, they are two different people with exactly contrasting styles and I don't want to say Jason Moss was a polarizing figure in Edmonton his style his style to me did not seem to fit especially this new president of the Eskimos his his style um, brought Sunderland not necessarily a brought Sunderland kind of guy Although Sunderland was in Ottawa when Moss was the OC, there's some people's, uh, not character, but personalities 
on the field but don't necessarily work in certain markets. And I think just to tie this to Saskatchewan for a quick minute, that was perfect. It, it's the perfect tennis setting for Jason Moss to not be that guy and just focus on what got him to that position and not have to worry about anything else. And I think, to be honest with you, if you want to talk about, you know, a good staff out east being the Hamilton Tiger Cats and being what the Ottawa Red Blacks are building, I'm going to go out on a limb and say right now, but if the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are not in the Grey Cup in Regina, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are making every bit of an attempt to make sure that they're in their own party in late November in Regina. And to me, it's just too perfect of a scenario. And if Fajardo stays healthy, goodness, I think you're looking at the Western MOP based on the trot record of offenses that Jason Moss has run. I mean, he was the Western MOP and- this year. And Jason Shivers is the defensive coordinator. That defense was very, very good for a large part of last year. And I think the only reason that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers were fortunate to get by the Saskatchewan Riders was that injury that, that uh, Cody Fajardo sustained in practice had that... Oblique question injury. mark lingering over over the two week break. Because I think if he makes a couple more throws on the money healthy, I think we're looking at the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in the great type and not the one to play Blue Bombers. Because they were right there down to the last play and he hits the goal post. I, I like Jason Moss as an offense coordinator. I liked him in that role when he was with Ottawa. I, I think that, you know, there are some guys that are great positional coaches yeah. that I think just. Ne- don't necessarily translate. Yep, you took my net spot. Well, right? to the head coach position, but I almost don't even want to say that because, like, the Eskimos still had some decent success right. with Jason Moss as head coach. So, like, I don't think he's a terrible head coach, but he's one of those guys that I think is better suited for a position like this, and I think he'll thrive in Saskatchewan. I think if he stays in this role for two years, learns again has fun at what he's doing, has no pressure on him indirectly to make decisions on behalf of the football team as far as defensive move. When you're going to go for it, when you're going to take your timeout, when you're going to have clock management, when you're going to take the field goal. Something that he struggles with. When you're going to punt. Jason Moss does not have to worry about what I like to call situational football in Regina. And I think if he can learn a few more things, kind of like going back into the laboratory, once his contract is up in two years, I, I, I would gladly consider him for a head coaching position again the second time around. Did Stephen McAdoo get hosed? Because not last year, the year before, his offense is terrible. Everybody's giving the guy flack because the defense almost scores as many touchdowns as the offense. He retains his job. He comes out last year, has the MOP, Western MOP quarterback in Cody Fajardo. That offense is flying there in Saskatchewan. 
and now he gets canned, like, instead of after 2018? I, I think it's a circumstantial thing where his contract was up. And I think he would have been back in Saskatchewan. But then Jason Moss being there was kind of... Let's be fair. I think Jason Moss is an upgrade over Stephen Matadou. And I I think it was just more a victim of of circumstance. But if Matadou... Matadou would be bad if Jason Moss was not there. To be fair, I also don't think some of the play calling down the stretch and in the playoffs necessarily helped Stephen No, especially in that playoff game. I heard... but. But again, that's everybody, right? And... Who knows? Like we, we make these assumptions of oh, and, and you and I are both guilty of watching this. At, you know, when we watch football, when we watch the Bombers in general, we think we know what the best play call is in that situation. You don't know a player's help, the, a player's mobility, circumstances in the huddle. Like you don't know the whole picture. It's always the flea flicker. Go for the flea flicker every time. No, just, well. Yeah, but there's different circumstances yeah. that, you know, pertain to different scenarios. And I, I, I think, to be honest with you, Saskatchewan hit the nail on the head as far as coaching staff and upgrades. It, and Matadu, he was a polarizing failure, but I think if he didn't have a good year, he would have been gone anyway. So, Yeah, yeah, I, that that's fair. And his offense didn't really show up until Tony Pajardo became the starter. Right. And then all of a sudden they became a hot lit and shot lit team. You and I thought about this in the preseason. He was not, we were not going to come out and be a hot lit and shot lit team. And sure enough, they were. A uh, couple more teams are going to touch on here. We have less than 10 minutes left. Here's what we're going to do. Montreal Alouettes were just sold. Uh, they have new owners. We're going to talk about that at the start of next week's episode because that's a bigger topic. Right yeah, there. and I think they're going to have a new president by then. And So we're going to leave that for this one. Uh, Calgary and Winnipeg. First of all, Calgary, uh, let receivers coach Pete Costanza go. That sounds almost like a salary cap yep. thing. Uh, promote offensive line coach Pat Delmonico to offensive coordinator. They do lose Ryan Dinwiddie, and they retain special teams coordinator Mark Killam. Is there anything there you want to touch on in terms of the Stampeders? Um, just the Hopnado tree getting a bit of a... A bit more branches elsewhere in the CFL and a bit of a retooling. Uh, I don't think there was anything wrong with what Calgary did. Uh, I mean, everybody was surprised, but they did as well as they did, given the, all the changeover from the year before. And I think this is just simply a reloading situation where I would expect Calgary to be right back, right back to what they were two years ago and uh, Bo to be even more dynamic. Yeah, and I think bringing back a guy like Mark Killam is huge. Uh, I know he was uh, he was out there as a possibility for some of the other coaching positions yeah, I, around I, the I, league. I think it was more of the right scenario wasn't there for him, more so than the money. And for him, it wasn't about money rather than opportunity and a situation that he himself felt familiar with. So, so to me, it's not really a surprise that if the right situation isn't out there, you it's no harm in staying in Calgary for no, another year. No, absolutely. If you could pick anywhere to stay, Calgary's not a bad place to be. Uh, let's talk Bombers here quickly. Uh, Grey Cup champs uh, extend their head coach and their general manager. Mike O'Shea extended Look. through 2022. Kyle Walters extended through 2023. They do lose 
offense coordinator Paul Apolis to the Ottawa Red Blacks. Have not named a new one yet. Everybody's speculating Buck Pierce will be the guy. Uh, I could obviously see that as well. Uh, yeah, this is pretty, pretty huge and pretty expected that, uh, Mike O'Shea is re-upping in, uh, Winnipeg and Kyle Walters. read anything into this being eerily quiet? What do you mean? Is this quieter than it should be? Well, they haven't announced Buff Pierce. They haven't announced the defensive coordinator officially. Is there any cause for concern that it's this quiet? No. I don't think so. I think they've just been working on other things right now. We've seen them progressively signing some of their key pieces as things have gone along. I think they know who their guys are. They just haven't. And I think the guys know it's them, right? And it just hasn't been put pen to paper necessarily quite yet. Um, Wouldn't you want to make your offensive coordinator official so you know it's where you're going at quarterback? I guess. I'm sure it will come before free agency. I would have to guess. Right. And I look, if it's not Buck Pierce, I will be floored. Why are you delaying the inevitable then? I don't know. I'm not trying to play devil's advocate. I think it will be Buck Pierce, but it, like, to me, this should have been the day after Lapo left. Oh, here's you know, offensive coordinator, Buck Pierce. Go find Mike O'Shea and whatever line of people he's standing in front of to meet him and uh, go wait in line and ask him next hey, time you see him. It, it's not, I, I, I say I'm this, not concerned. It's no, just, I, I'm not either. I, I And I'm saying this kind of jokingly <laughs> because, like, yeah. it was so obvious to me that Mike O'Shea is staying here in Winnipeg by just by, you know, how he reacted to everything during Grey Cup week. Uh, during that, the festivals and the parties in the mm-hmm. week after, how he spent so much time standing, chatting with fans, genuinely wanted to be there. You could tell it. Uh, and I forget what order it happened in. Uh, did they extend him after Ryan Dinwiddie signed in? Yeah, I think yep. Ryan Dinwiddie signed in Toronto. And then it was like, okay, Mike O'Shea is coming back to Winnipeg. Because if he were to go anywhere, yep. it was to the Argos. As soon as that was a done deal, it was like, we already know this, but Mike O'Shea is coming back to Winnipeg. And I couldn't be happier. The longest. Is he the longest tenured coach in the CFL, like, for the same team? I believe he is. Yes. Montreal, Hamilton. So I just wanted you to check. I, yeah, I'm I 99% think, sure he is. So. Yeah. If anybody, Dave Dickinson maybe, but I think Dickinson took over after. after. 20, yeah. So well, she's been there six years now. Yeah. So I love the consistency. I love Mike O'Shea. Uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Exactly. And Kyle Walters, like. In not like you cannot say enough good things about what Kyle Walters has done here in Winnipeg. The way he's put this team together, the way when he took over the team, turned them around uh, from the Joe Mack era that everybody tries to forget. Uh, Kyle Walters has done amazing things, and he's done some great things so far this off season. And we'll get into talking about the you know some of those transactions a little bit more. Uh, but the way he, you know, focused on that offensive line real early and got some of those big pieces signed up here, you know, bring back Canadians receiver like Drew Wolitarski, like Kyle Walters doing a great job, uh, and he has been since he took over. So I'm so happy to see these guys under contract for the next couple of years. What is the law quickly, Mike, what does the loss of Paul Apolise mean for the Bombers? It's a loss, but I think Bob Pierce has been ready for a while. I think if Bob Pierce... I think if Lapo would have been bad, I think we would have lost Buck Pierce. There's a bit of a drop-off, but I'm not overly concerned about it. Yeah, and I I think so, too. I mean, 
the student learns from the teacher now that the student wants to do it on his own and there's no better teacher to learn from so I, I'm the furthest of my concern and the bomber offensive coordinator I, I don't I don't to be honest with you the furthest of my concern and even the quarterback to be honest with you because I think that's going to sort itself out in quick order if it hasn't already. I wouldn't be surprised if they have a contract with one of the quarterbacks. They're just waiting for the ideal time to announce it. Yeah, I, I don't know if we'll see as many uh, as much uh, Lapo magic from Buck Pierce in terms of the you know the trick no, but plays I think that come out in that, because I think that's just a Polapolis unique mind thing. A lot but of those, Buck Pierce but has his own ideas. And true, so. We'll see what happens with he all of that. He can cut up his own concoctions in the lab, and yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll get an official announcement on offensive coordinator by the time we record our next episode, which should hopefully be next week. We'll be back then to talk uh, some NFL tryouts, some other uh, off-season news thus far, and yes, we will touch on the Montreal Alouettes' new owners. Uh, Real quick, your NFL team pulled out a big one this weekend. Yes, the NFL team Twitter helped me pick at the start of the season. Uh, going strong. Go Vikings. Yes. Big one this weekend, the uh, Colts in Santa Clara. I picked the Vikings to win. Everybody's favorite NFL team, the non-New England Patriots. Bye-bye. <laughs> All right, that does it for this week. Uh, first episode of 2020, uh, whole season long, we will be here. Uh, should be a fun year on the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at CFC on Mike FM. Uh, subscribe on the pod, the various podcast platforms, whichever one's your favorite. You can probably find us there. And follow at CF Pod Networks. Check out CFPodNetwork.ca to check out the Canadian Football Podcast Network, all the other great shows there. Mike, where can people find you on Twitter? They can find me at MyTarot doing who knows what in the local hockey community. You can find me at CooperTrooper42. You probably will, honestly won't see me tweet much in the next uh, next couple of months. Maybe I, the- I, I promise you he's working hard behind the scenes. Yes. That does it for this episode. We'll talk to you again next time. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, when does football start? I can't wait. I know Mike can't either. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. Bye.